0: Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they, and of course, this is speaking to the elders of Israel whom God had just um, talked about with him. He says, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord answered him, verse 2, and said, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. Remember, Moses was there with the sheep. It was a shepherd's staff. It was the rod in his hand that he used to tend the sheep. And and he said, cast it on the ground. And so he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. (coughs) And the Lord said in verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And he said, the Lord said in verse 7, Put your hand in your bosom again. And so he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river. This is the River Nile he talking about. And pour it out on dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now part of me as I read this wonders if Moses, having just seen these two miracles, these two awesome things that that God had done, part of me wonders if Moses was going, Okay, Lord, it's really cool you can do these things, but but can you fix this? Can you fix this problem? Can you fix this infirmity that I have? And and, and we know that the Lord doesn't. And, and we'll read on, and Moses will actually complain about it a little bit more. But But it reminds me of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, where the Apostle Paul came before the Lord, it says, three times asking to be delivered from the thorn that was in his flesh, the ailment that he had. And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to, Paul. He said, because this thing that you have is keeping you humble. It's keeping you dependent upon me. And it's a reminder for me that that if Moses was going to the Lord, all right, Lord, you can do these things. I'm not eloquent. I've never been, and I'm not now. What are we going to do about this? And, And the Lord goes by his silence pretty much the issue. He's like, we're going to do nothing. You're going. And guys, I'm here to tell you that, man, this is a reminder for us that God uses those who are weak. God uses those who are foolish. And, and all of us have this thing. It, we may not be slow uh, 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 of speech. We may not be eloquent. That might not be our, 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 our disability, if you will. But we all have that thing in our life where we go, Lord, what are you going to do about this so that I might be used by you? And the Lord says, he says, You're, we're doing nothing about that because that is the thing that's going to keep you dependent upon me. Now, some of you have heard me tell this story before, but, but many of you may not. But one, I, I was not that great in school. <laughs> and, and part of it was, as my dad said, you don't apply yourself. And, and I didn't. I didn't apply myself. I didn't like school. And, and I actually took the five-year plan when it came to graduating high school. And it wasn't different when I was younger. It was still only four years. And many people who, who even put in a little bit of effort, like my two boys who shamed me, they both graduated early. And, and I took the five-year plan because I just failed many classes in high school and had to repeat. The one class, actually my fifth year of high school, I needed a half a semester, and the half a semester that I needed was a speech class that I had taken three times and failed. And I failed because I was dreadfully afraid of standing in front of people and giving a speech. And so, yeah, it's just humorous, huh, that God would call the guy who failed speech three times and, and didn't graduate high school because of it. To, to, to God would call that guy to stand in front of people and to speak, and 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 and. But that's how God is, guys. And so I can relate to Moses. And you know what? I don't believe that God has ever delivered me of that. I mean, truthfully, I talk to other guys who are in my my uh, peers who are other pastors, and and then they 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 their their time of study and their time of prep, and 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 I listen to them. I mean, there's people in my in this fellowship who have what's called the Dictionary, And it's it's the Sean dictionary. Yeah, some of you are raising your hands, where I mispronounce a word or I say something funny and you guys keep track of it. That's okay. God, God sees you. <laughs> he knows you. But there are many other people who I know. As a matter of fact, the church that I came from, the, the pastor was a brilliant speaker, a, a very eloquent man. But he had his other other infirmities, guys. And here's the thing about it, is, is God wants to be glorified through us, and He's glorified in our weakness. And the simple fact that you guys can receive anything as God works through me, knowing that I didn't pass speech class for three years in a row, is a testament to God's God's mercy and God's grace and God's power. And and, and so whether or not Moses was going, Lord, can you fix this or not? I don't know, but it's at least an aspect that we can glean from and, and apply to our own lives and go, well, we can relate. We can relate. And so as we read on, we we, we go and, and, and we read in verse in verse uh, twelve, and so the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Right? In other words, God's saying, Moses it's not about you, it's about me. Who's made man's mouth? Who is who's made man's mouth, or who has made the mute, deaf, and uh, the, the seen or the blind? Have I not have not I the Lord? And it's a little bit like like when God was speaking to Job, when when Job said, God, why have you allowed for all these things to happen to me? ever studied the book of job and all the hard things that came upon him when he asked god never gave job the answer for the reason why he basically said this i'm god you're not and that's what god's doing here with moses and and sometimes that's what we need to be reminded of and and at this point as moses is complaining and showing his reluctance and giving god wisdom and explaining to him why god's making a decision god's going here by this one thing he's going moses i'm god you're not. And I'm telling you, there's, there's some of us here today, including myself, that need to be reminded of that. Because we elevate ourselves. We put ourselves. You know, we have these false idols in our lives. And the, and the single greatest false idol that any one of us have that we bow down and worship before is this altar, this idol of self. Where we put ourselves on the throne. We need to be reminded that God is God. He's the Lord. We're not. And so the Lord reminds Moses of this and he goes on and he says, now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, oh Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, is not Aaron this Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. and you lo- And look, he is coming out to meet you and when he sees you, you'll be glad in your heart. Now, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and now and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and, and he himself shall be a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do these signs. Now in verse 18 it goes on and says, So Moses went, finally, right? Moses reluctantly agrees. He he goes forward in, in, in faith, with little faith, but he goes forward in faith. And he returned to Jethro his father-in-law and said, Please let me go and return my brethren who are to return my brethren who are with me in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, simply this, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. And you know what? That had to have been an important piece of information for Moses. Then Moses said to his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey. And he returned to the land of Egypt and, and Moses took the rod of God in his hands. And so in verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord of his, the, the Lord.'" Israel is my son, my firstborn, so I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. <coughs> and then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he went and he met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. And so Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron, verse 31, spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses, then he did the signs in the sight of the people, and so the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked on their affliction, notice then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. Your word is truth. God, we live in this world that is full of deception and lies and dark things. And, and in, in a time and a place, God, where, where, where whole nations are are rejecting you. Lord, we're sins within the church. And God, we know that you've called us like you've called Moses, to be a light for you. And so God, in those areas of our lives where we know that we've been called, I pray, Father, that we would see this account, this story, Moses' example, and God, that we would not resist you. Father, that we would step forward by faith, knowing that we have you with us and the power of Holy Spirit living inside of us as a guide, as a helper. And Lord, that you would manifest signs and wonders through our own lives and the lives of people around us, Lord. And and that that greatest sign, Lord, would be um, the gospel message brought forth in love, that people would see how much we love you and how much we love one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you guys look back with me in the beginning of this chapter, I want to I begin by pointing out that as Moses continued to challenge God's plans, because this is where he's at right now, still in this place where he's <coughs> challenging God's plans, that he's now expressing these doubts at the beginning of this chapter on whether the Hebrew people, specifically the elders, that, that, that whether or not they would believe that he'd been sent by God or they would even give him an audience, that they would even listen to him. And in doing so, Moses asked God, What he should do if this happened. But in light of this, we need to see that Moses' doubts were evidence that he did not believe. It wasn't so much whether or not they would believe him. It was whether or not Moses believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Still. a matter of fact, he didn't believe what God had just told him. Right? If you look back to, to, to chapter 3, verse 18, we see that God had just said that the elders of Israel would heed his voice. And, and that they would go with him to confront Pharaoh. God said, this is going to happen. Furthermore, God told Moses that even though the king of Egypt would not agree to let the Hebrew people go, that eventually he would relent because God would stretch out his hand and he would strike Egypt with his wonders, with, with miraculous things. But Moses did not believe. Moses didn't believe. And his unbelief is revealed by his unwillingness in total to submit to God's plan. And it's clear that he was still resisting and continued to do so when he explained, as I already kind of highlighted a little bit, there in verse 10, as he explained to God that he wasn't an eloquent speaker. He was slow of speech and slow of tongue. And in light of this, we see the, the reason for why Moses doubted. In that one verse, we see the, the, the totality of the reason why Moses... Well, these bugs everywhere, it's a plague. The reason why for why for, for Moses doubted. And, and, and you know what? This reason for why Moses doubted, guys, it's, 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 it's really the same reason for why we often doubt God, for why we don't believe the things, the very same things or, or, or things like this that God's spoken to us. And it's because of this. It's because we don't lift our eyes. We don't lift our eyes high enough to see past ourself or past our circumstances in order to see and gaze upon God. In other words, we, we, like Moses, we look at our weaknesses instead of looking at God who strengthens us according to the Word, tells us according to His power and His might. Or we, or we look at our own lack of wisdom, our own lack of understanding, instead of to God, from whom all wisdom and power comes. Or we look at our past sins. This is a big one, guys. We look at our past sins, we look at our past mistakes, We look at our past failures instead of to God, who is full of grace and full of mercy and is willing and able to redeem and restore anything that's been damaged or or ruined as a result of our sins and failures. And clearly, this was still Moses' problem as he considered... considering he was looking. That's exactly what he's looking at. He's looking at who he was. He was looking at what he had done in the past. And and, and furthermore, he was looking at what he couldn't do. I can't speak very well. Instead of looking to God, and this is a key, to God who had already told Moses who he was. Moses, don't look at who you are. Look at who I am, the great I am, right? I am who I am, the self-existent one. Not only did God tell Moses who he was, he also told Moses what he was going to do. Not to what Moses could do or couldn't do, but to what he was going to do. And God said, I'm going to deliver my people by my outstretched hand. And because Moses was looking at what he couldn't do and who he was rather than who God was and what God said he could do, Moses still doubted God, still doubted. Yet, in spite of all that God had already done and said, we see that he was patient, was he not? That God was patient with Moses. That literally the word that comes into play here is the word long-suffering. God was being long-suffering with Moses. You know what? Just like he is patient and long-suffering with us. And in doing so, we see that God did other miraculous things with and for Moses. That would be signs, he said, to the elders if they did not believe. And if you look there in verse 3, it says that he changed this rod in Moses' hands into a serpent. And then in verse 6, he caused Moses' hand when he put it inside his bosom there underneath his cloak to become leprous. And then in verse 9, God made a promise telling him that when you get to Egypt and you draw water out from the Nile River, that when you pour down a dry land, Moses, I'll turn it into blood. Three signs, and in light of this, I want to first point out that Moses' doubts, and there were more than just doubts, were they not? I think it's safe to say that they are fears. Moses' doubts, Moses' fears, and, and even Moses' unbelief, that these were not things that God was surprised with, was it? It wasn't like God said, "You know, no, I got this plan. I'm going to go ahead and choose Moses to deliver my people. I've heard their cry. And then when Moses began to to complain, when Moses began to to focus on himself, it wasn't like God was like, I can't believe you're doing this. God wasn't caught off guard. He wasn't surprised with Moses, nor was he disappointed by these things that Moses was speaking, was he? In fact, God God who clearly knows all things also knew exactly what Moses was like when he called him. Bible tells us even when God called us into salvation, He knew what we were like. It says, "While we were still sinners, right, still in the midst of our sins, still in rebellion against God, still enemies of God, He called us." He knew what we were like. He knows what we we're like, and He knew what Moses was like when He called him. But guys, this is the other. This is the other thing to notice is that. Not only did God know what Moses was like, and not only does God know what we're like, God knew exactly what kind of man Moses would become when Moses trusted in and submitted his life to God. God knew what kind of man he would become in him. And I think this is revealed to us, as Moses revealed to us, just for for no other reason than because God was long-suffering with Moses. He was working with him. He was bringing him to this place of faith and trust and reliance. And and that's why God did these things for him, these three additional things, in order to build his faith, to do a work in Moses so that Moses could later stand on God's behalf courageously before Pharaoh and do the mighty work that God had called him to do. And I think we should find comfort in this because it reminds us that God also knows us. God knows us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our past failures. He knows our sinfulness. But God also knows what kind of people we're becoming as we put our trust in him. And so God is long-suffering towards us. God, it says, has compassion on us. In fact, we're told this in Psalm 103, verses 13 through 14, which says this, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Why? For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. Now, the other thing I want to point out that is specific to these two miraculous things that God did with the Moses' hand and with the rod um, that God demonstrated to Moses, um, which which really were to be signs. God even reiterates that, okay, Moses, these will be your signs, and just in case the elders didn't believe. And, 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 and I, I think maybe um, it's my opinion, okay? And maybe God was being a little snarky with Moses when, when he said to him, okay, Moses, if they don't believe the, the rod turning into the snake, here's another one so that, that they might believe. And and, and God had already told him, and so it really wasn't an issue. And, and, and I think that maybe it was like that because sometimes that's how God talks to me because <laughs> I need it like that. Okay, Sean, you know. And, 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 and so, so God, God uses these two things. But when, God first, when God, God first took the rod, guys, that was in Moses' hand. There was, a, there was an additional message going on here. And, and I want you guys to see that. There were other things that God was communicating to Moses through this process. A deeper message, more than just going, okay, here's your signs. See, God was, God was talking to Moses through these things. And, and, and when he took the rod that was in Moses' hands and he turned it into stake, you know what it does? It should remind us that when we put our trust in God, God will take whatever it is that we have in our hands and effectively use it. God will take whatever it is that we have in our hands and use it effectively. In other words, guys, God's ability to work is not limited by the things that we have or the things that we don't have. Often when God calls us, we go, God, this is all I got. I'm going to need these things. I'm going to need that. I don't have enough. Or or what I do have, this isn't the right tool for the job. And we, and, we, and we look at God and we look at what we have and we limit God's ability to work by the things that we do or the things we don't have. And, and that's not how God is. Remember, God, our God, He can even take two small fish and five loaves of barley bread and He can multiply them so that thousands of people can be fed. And this is important for us to understand because when it comes to the work of God, I think we either, we either count ourselves out we either count ourselves out for the work that God has called us to do, or we lack the vision, guys, to see how the work will be done that God has called us to do, simply because we're blinded, because we look at what we don't have, rather than, than, than using and trusting in, in the things that God has already provided, us, provided for us. And God, we go, I got this, God, is this enough? And God goes, that's all you need. And if you need anything else, I will give it to you. I will provide it for you. And I'm here to tell you, I've seen that over and over and over again in my life personally and through ministry when I've been willing to take whatever it is I've had, respond to the call of God, and step outward in faith. And God miraculously (laughs) provides. He takes the weak things, the small things, And he does great things. And I think that was the message that he was given to Moses here. And so we must remember that when we take what we have been given and put it in God's hands, guys, it'll be more than enough for wonderful things to happen. And this is what God wanted Moses to know. And this was even further illustrated for us and for Moses when he told Moses in verse 6, in addition to that, he said, okay, put your hand in your cloak. And in doing so, Moses pulled it out and he caused his hand to be leprous, to be covered in leprosy. That wasn't a good thing, okay? But, but you got to remember that, 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 that leprosy in, in, in the scripture is, is, was always tied to sin, right? And so there's a connection there that God's doing. And then when God told him to put the, his hand back in his cloak and he pulled it out, it says that it was immediately restored when he put it back in. And you know what, guys? By this miracle, God was revealing to Moses that that even with all of his weaknesses and even with all of his past failures, that he too was enough in God's hands. It wasn't just an issue of whether Moses had enough. It was whether Moses was concerned about whether he was enough. And this was important because Moses Guys, he had previously used his hands, what? In a sinful way to take another's man's life. And in a true sense, Moses' hands were stained with that past sin. He was a murderer. Yet when God demonstrated his power to remove the leprosy, what he was showing Moses, what he was, what he was proving to Moses is that he could heal the weaknesses of his flesh and to use him for his glory. You see, guys, that's exactly what we do. We look at ourselves. We look at our natural state. We look at our our humanness, and we go, this is not enough, God. And God goes, you're right. It's not. But we leave God out of the equation, and we, we forget that God's the one who's greater than our weakness. God's greater than our sin. And I know this is a message that we need to hear today because, you know what, we have all done shameful things, guys, that cause us to feel like we're unable to be used by God. And maybe there's ever been people in your life who know those things that look at you and mock at you and go, you can't do that because you've done this. And your own heart and Satan in this world cast those stones at you to condemn you in order to keep you out of this place where, God, where you feel that you can be used by God. And it's those memories of those past sins, those past failures, our weaknesses that cause us to feel like we've been condemned by God, even though God has forgiven us. It says, throw in our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. And the memory of those past sins can cause us to feel, guys, I know this firsthand, it can cause us to feel as if we're damaged goods. What do you do with something's damaged? You know, you ever receive something from Amazon Prime that's damaged? You just do what with it? You send it back. And that's sometimes what we think about ourselves that we're damaged beyond repair, and therefore we're not useful in God's hands. But we need to remember this God's word is truth. And in Romans chapter 1, chapter 8, verse 1, it says this there is there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you, no matter what you've done. Furthermore, Romans chapter 5, verse 20 tells us, it says, Where sin once abounded, grace abounded much more. And we look at our sin, guys, and we see how big it is, because all of us have some sins that only God knows about that we wouldn't share with another living being, even if it meant being someone was going to kill us. You told me about that, I'm going to kill you. are like, nuh-uh. Those things, guys, that nobody else knows about, that we're so afraid and so ashamed to share with anyone else except for God, God says, for that sin, when that sin abounded, he said, My grace abounded all the more. Furthermore, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. He says, Therefore, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. I'm not who I used to be. And that's because of Jesus. You are not who you used to be. And that life that you once lived, you've been set free from so that you might go forth in his power, in his strength, and do the work that he's called you to do, to walk in faith and receive every good thing that God has for you because of who he is, not because of who you're not. Now, in spite of these demonstrations of God's power and these assurances that God had spoke to Moses, we see that he was still resistant. He was still resistant. In fact, in verse 13, after pointing to his speaking deficiencies, and where God says, Moses, I'm God, you're not, I'm sending you, Moses still pleaded with God and says, send someone else. And it's worth pointing out that even though Moses in this passage, in that very verse, referred to God as Lord. Did you pick up on that? Even though he referred to him as Lord, he refused all in the same breath to obey God god's command lord i'm not gonna do it i mean that's that's moronic right and i believe this is important to take notice of because most of us understand this attitude considering we have also made the same mistake of calling god our lord and yet in the same breath speaking words of refusal in obeying him the fact of the matter is, guys, if God isn't Lord of all, He isn't Lord at all. And this is why Jesus spoke to His disciples in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, and asked, He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Now, when Moses did this, we're told in verse 14 that the anger of the Lord, and, and justifiably so at this point, right? I mean, I if it was me, I'd have justified it in the previous chapter. All right, you, 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 my anger's been kindled, Moses. But, but at this point, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And, 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 and yet in this, we see what might look like God relenting or, or, or God making this concession. In one sense it is, but, but in the other sense, it was God working also in a disciplinary way for Moses down the road. And, and, and as God relented to Moses' request, what he did is he appointed Aaron, his brother, to be a spokesman for, for Moses. And the fact of the matter, guys, is Aaron wasn't always a help to his brother. Aaron wasn't a blessing. And it was Aaron in Exodus chapter 32 who cooperated with the people just after being delivered out of Egypt there at the base of Mount Sinai and, 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 and working with them to make the golden calf. Remember? That was Aaron. Furthermore, it was Aaron and his sister Miriam who was critical of Moses and critical of Moses' Moses' wife and, and his qualifications and his ability to be a leader. They're in Numbers chapter 12 and he ended up even bringing division and trouble into the camp. That was Aaron, his brother, the one he asked for. And in light of this, it should be a warning for us. It's a simple warning, but it's clear, and I just want to touch on it real quick. It's a warning for us for those times when we resist God's will because we wrongly believe that our plan is somehow going to be better than God's plan for us. God, I'll go ahead and relent, but can we just add this one thing? Or God, I'll go ahead and relent, but can we do everything but this? You know what, guys? That's the very same thing that Satan does with God's word. He adds a little bit, and he takes a little bit away. And when, that, when we do that kind of thing with God's will or God's plan for our lives in response to our obedience, it's never a good thing. And the fact of the matter is, 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 is we see here from Scripture by this example is, is that God, if we, re, if we go on long enough, that God may just go ahead and let us have our own way. Okay. You want that? Okay. And, and our ways are not better than God's ways and how do we know this? Because, you know what, guys? We've all reaped the bitter fruit that comes from doing things our way. So with this concession, we see that Moses reluctantly accepted God's call. As we read on. He goes back home. He leaves the mountain. He goes to speak to his father-in-law. I imagine he he, he probably spoke to his wife first, even though that's not there. Uh, if he didn't, hopefully he did. And that, guys, keep your wife in the loop. <laughs> But he, he goes and speaks to his father in law. As we study on through the remaining verses of this chapter, which really, when you read through it, I don't know about you, but when you read through these things, they, they kind of seem odd, maybe even a little out of place, some of the things that we read here into this chapter. But Eliza, I want to point out that contextually speaking, what we're being told is, is we're, we're really being given or really being shown five factors, five key things that should have reinforced Moses' reluctant decision to submit himself to God's call. In other words, even though Moses said, I'm going to go ahead and do this, and he exercised a little bit of faith, is we still see a very patient and loving God who's willing to come along Moses through the process and build him up and going, Moses, I got this, look. Moses, I got this, look. These are assurances. These are are five things that would have been confirmation to Moses that what God said he was going to do, he would do. And I'm telling you what, we all need that along the journey. Do we not? We all need that along the journey. Because there is adversarial things that come against us. There are hard times that come when you step out in obedience to the Lord. It's not always a bed of roses. It doesn't always go perfectly is the way you had hoped and planned and God even from the beginning told Moses it's going to be hard and I'm sure that there were times that doubts would rearise, that fears would come forward just like there is in our own lives and so God gives us these kinds of things also these assurances these these points of confirmation that continue to keep us moving forward in God's will Again, it's, 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 it's what we see here is, the, is the, 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 the demonstration of a loving God, a long-suffering God, who was willing to come alongside his servant and grow him into the man that he wanted him to be by proving himself to him. God proving himself to him over and over and over again. And man, God does that for us, guys. It says even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And God was faithful to Moses in spite of his faithlessness, and I want to point out that we're being told about, about five factors, five specific things that should have reinforced this for Moses in, in regards to his reluctant decision to submit himself to God's will. And the first one here is very simple, but it's in verse 18 where it tells us that when Moses went to his father-in-law, <coughs> Jethro, and he made this request to leave and to return to Egypt, um, Moses received no protest He received no protest from his father in law, who simply said, Go in peace. He spoke a blessing to him. And even though there is only one verse to account this conversation, I want you to know that it was no small thing what we're reading about here. After all, Moses had been living in Midian with Jethro now for 40 years, he was an intricate part of Jethro's business and his family. Remember, he had become important to Jethro, not only because he had married one of his daughters and given him grandchildren, but also because Moses had been entrusted with part of the family business as we see that he was charged with care for the flocks. And so it reasons to 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 conclude that Moses' departure would have left a big void in Jethro's, in Jethro's life. You know, maybe he was like, okay, I can find someone to take care of the sheep, but you're taking my daughter. You're taking my grandbabies. And that's no small thing. But yet Jethro, who was a godly man, and we're going to learn that a little bit later on as we, as we, we, we read about Jethro in the, in the chapters to come, Jethro simply says, go in peace. And Jethro released Moses without complaint and with this blessing of peace. And guys, this is the first thing that should have encouraged and confirmed to Moses that God was working everything out. God was working everything out. Whatever He was leaving behind, God said, "I got it. It's okay." And this was very, and this was even more apparent as as, as Moses that God was working it all out. As, as Moses set out, we're told, for Egypt with his wife and his sons, and received a further revelation in verses nineteen through twenty three from the Lord. And where, and where God spoke, first, he told Moses in these verses that the men who had previously sought his life were all, all now dead. And, and this was obviously some kind of a concern for Moses, who had fled from Egypt because Pharaoh had sought to kill him after he'd killed the Egyptian taskmasters, as God now spoke these words of comfort. But once again, God was speaking words of comfort and words of assurance to Moses to, to, to simply let him know that he was going to take care of every problem, even his personal problems. He could go back and do the will of God, and there was all kinds of, of, of mountains that he would have to face alongside that, but going back also meant that Moses had to deal with his past, right? Right? There were things from his past that were still hanging over his head, and God was saying, Moses, don't worry about this. I got that covered. All of those guys who were seeking to kill you were dead. So this was confirmation to Moses that his decision to submit to God's will and to go to Egypt was the right decision. And it's this information about the men who wanted to kill him being all did, that was only part of the revelation, as we see here. And, and I love the second part of it because God went into detail, not very, very detail, not only on what Moses was to do, telling him you know, to perform these signs and to do these, these miraculous things, not only what he was to do, um, but God also told him what Pharaoh would do. And more importantly, God in verses 22 and 23. Told Moses what he would do if Pharaoh refused to release Israel. And so, from the onset, guys, from the onset of this venture of faith, Moses, because of this revelation from God, now had been reiterated once here, here once again, Moses knew the end from the beginning. And, and and the fact that God, who declared the end from the beginning, as, as Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10 declares to us, that he spoke these things to Moses was a sign. It was evidence to Moses. It should have been an assurance to him. It should have been confirmation to him that God was going to work everything out. Moses, I can see the beginning. I can see the end. And this is what's going to take place. Now, the third point of confirmation for Moses that was told to him was on, told him to, to let him know that he was on the right track, is, is in this, these verses, in verses 24 through, through 26, where it speaks about this, this, this circumcision account. And in these verses, we're told that the Lord sought to kill Moses. And we might go, what, what the heck? The Lord just called him out to do his will, and now, now he, he headed out, and now the Lord's going to kill him. And, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. But the reason why God was seeking to kill Moses was because he had not circumcised his son. And furthermore, what we see in these verses is that his wife, Zephora, did the very thing that Moses had been unwilling to do. And in a demonstration of her disappointment with Moses, in disgust with what she had been forced to do, she cast the foreskin of her son, it says, at the feet of Moses. And even though this event might seem odd, it might seem out of place to us, the fact of the matter is is that God was disciplining Moses. That's what we're being told here. God was disciplining Moses. And, And guys, what we see here is that before Moses could effectively lead God's people, he had to be right with God. See, not only was God taking care of the things at home that he was leaving behind. And not only was God going to take care of things from Moses' past that he had to go and confront, God was taking care of the things inside of Moses as well that had to be right before he could be used by God effectively. And so Moses was being disciplined by God before he could effectively lead God's people. And he had to be right with God. His own house had to be set in order. And the truth, this truth is presented to us in the New Testament. And it's a principle that's given that's found in the book of Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, where it simply says this. It says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Right? And, and we should hold our leaders whether it's within the church or in the, in the secular world today, we should hold them to a higher accountability, to a higher standard. God's word says that. And Moses was being called to do this, and there were things that, is, that were in his life that was out of order, and God said, we're dealing with this before we get there and do all that. And guys, God will do the same for us. But it is a, it's an assuring thing. It's a confirming thing to let you know that, that God's about ready to do a great thing because he's getting things right. We see that even within the church. I love the story in the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira because up to that point in the early church we're told that God was adding to the church daily those whom would be saved. But then there's this account of of Ananias and Sapphira who kind of lied about what they had done. They misrepresented what they had done. And they were called out for it. The Holy Spirit made that known to the early church, to the apostles. And it says that, that those two, by example lost their life. They dropped down dead because of what they had done. God was cleaning things up. He was purifying the church. And and, and what we see that takes place after that, the the very next statement that we read after that account is that it says that, that the church then was multiplied to. There's this exponential growth wherein before God was adding to the church After God dealt with the church and cleaned up some things that were going on, it says that then there was a multiplication effect that came, a manifold increase. And that's true in our own lives. You want to be used by God? You want God to do a work through you? He's going to do a work in you. He's going to make sure that things are right. And and it's the discipline of God. And the Bible tells us to not despise the, the discipline of God but to receive it. Why? Because it brings forth this righteousness in our lives, God's will for our lives. And it puts us in this place where we can be used by God and it, it, it assures us of the fact that God's doing a work. He's got everything in his control. And even though the discipline of God was not an experience, pleasant experience for Moses or for Moses' family, it was another confirmation that, that for Moses that God was with him and that God would work things out as he went forward in faith, as he went forward in obedience. That's the other keep to this, this discipline factor. Moses, if you're going to walk in obedience to what I have called you to do, what I've said before you, you've got to walk in obedience to what I've already asked of you. However, this painful confirmation was soon replaced with joy, we read, as Moses continued towards Egypt and met his brother Aaron in the wilderness. And just as God had promised he would, he called Aaron, he sent him to help his brother. And this was the fourth thing that God did for Moses to assure him that God would do everything just as he had promised to do. And in the final three verses of this chapter, if, you, uh, if uh, Brad and, and you guys want to come back up, we're going to prepare for the last song. We're going to end with this. Um, in the final three verses of this chapter, this was further made evident to Moses by the fact that the elders of Israel um, gave Moses and they gave Aaron this favorable reception just as God has promised. Remember, Moses had expressed fear, right? He had these doubts. He had these fears that the Jewish le- that the leadership there, that the elders wouldn't believe his message, that they wouldn't even listen to him, that they wouldn't accept his role of leadership that God had called them to. But he did. They did. And so did the rest of the nation when they saw the demonstration of God's powers or the, God's power in the signs, it says that, 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 that Moses did through God, or that, that God did through Moses. And upon hearing that God was concerned for them, and I love this last point that, that we read here, that, that, that the children of Israel, the people there, that upon hearing that God was concerned for them, and that God was about to rescue them, they, according to verse 31, bowed down in grateful worship. And you know what? Worship is the logic response for all of us for all of God's people, to God's graciousness and God's goodness. And I would challenge you this morning to, to, to search your own heart and to see where, where Moses' examples is a way that God's coming, is the way by which God's coming alongside us even today and showing us His grace and His goodness in our lives. And that we too would stand And worship Him and give Him praise. That we would bow our hearts before Him and acknowledge Him as our Lord. As our Savior. And walk in obedience and walk in faith. Let's pray. Father, I I ask God that that You would move in our church. That You would move in our hearts. God, that we would, as Romans chapter 12 says, Lord, that we would... um, Lay ourselves, Lord, as a living sacrifice before you. That we would truly, God, let your will be done in our lives and that our own wills, our own desires would be set aside, Lord, for no other reason than that we have reckoned in ourselves that your way is best, that you always have good for us. God, you've proven yourself faithful to us so many times, over and over again. And Lord, I know that there are people here this morning who are standing before mountainous things, trials and tribulations and and in and hardships, and, and maybe even things, God, that you've called them to that they don't really want to be standing in front of. But I pray, God, yet that you would encourage those people this morning. You would encourage us this morning. And that you would give us, like you gave Moses, things that assure us and confirm to us that, that all of our, our problems, all of our cares, all of our concerns, Lord, are, are in your heart, are in your hands. And Father, as we worship you with this last song this morning, I pray, God, that we would bow ourselves before you. We would acknowledge you as God, the great I am, our Lord, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys stand with us? I just want to say you guys have an awesome...